Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers. A podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. Oh my gosh, this is your favorite. Pizza and beer are in the fridge. Today we're talking with Rocco DeFazio of DeFazio's Pizzeria in Troy, New York, and George DePiro of Druthers Brewing in Albany. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, I was listening to the Vox Pop episode before this. You can check out Vox Pop for Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check out that episode. You were talking about how uh, in DeFazio's you guys grow your own veggies. Of course. And I just wanted to ask you to say, you know, let us know what do you grow? Do you grow anything unique for each season and maybe throw something different in for a pie recipe or are there any recipes? Well, our number one, uh, our two biggest ingredients we grow are our basil, which Mm -hmm. we use lots and lots of. Uh, for our pesto, and we like to put it on our pizzas, especially our fresh mozzarella pizza. And the other thing are cherry tomatoes, mm-hmm. which we use in our salads and we use on our pizzas. So it's primarily uh, basil and tomatoes, which go very well, and uh, we grow quite a bit of them. And people always like it when we say, hold on, we're going to run out to the yard and <laughs> pick some fresh basil for your pizza. There's or nothing some. like it. There's, It's very unique. We're probably the only ones that kind of can still do that stuff. Any expansion? <clears throat> are you going to grow anything else, or you think tomato and basil is pretty Right much now, it? tomato and basil is pretty, we, we have a hard time just keeping up with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or we're going to have to you know, extend the garden, then it's like, why, you know, we get the horses and... The... <laughs> and more but, help. And yeah, everything. but the mm-hmm. tomato and basil keep us, I mean, in a, Italian cuisine, it's tomato and basil. Yeah, pretty yes. much. Those I'm, are the two staples, right? They are the big yeah. two staples. Mm-hmm. Olives. Yes. Oh, olives yeah, tree. try an olive tree, right? I don't think that'll work well in <laughs> no, Troy. not at all. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Yeah. Little, uh, tourist the only olive tree in Troy. Yes, it would. <laughs> maybe in like 30 years with more global warming. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah, so maybe 20. Yeah. I'll take another winter like we had last one. Yeah. It, it, it is hard to be selfless about global warming mm. when you live this far north and you have a winter like the last one. It's like, <laughs> I know. And, you, yeah, get the, and I, you get the bennies from it. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. I grew up south of the bennies on the Jersey Shore. Oh, so yeah. So now they come, yeah. There's no bennies there. Yeah. But uh, speaking of that, I grew up with an Italian grandmother. Nice. Who You ate well. Oh, yes. Every single time I came over, she was, the whole day she was in the kitchen making manja, sauce. Oh, manja, manja. Yeah. What's You're, the matter? You know, eat. You yeah. sick. <laughs> you sick. You know, eat. Have a second plate. Have a second plate. Yeah. So she was from Naples. Wow. So the Very sauce that she made was incredible. So now, yes. whenever I eat pizza, if the sauce is just oh, I just can't do it. It's the it's it's what makes the pie. Yes. People have, do not understand how I try to tell them this all the time, and they just don't get it. It's okay. the sauce, and again, I'm the only one who touches the sauce. And I like it when I, someone will say, I can drink your pizza sauce. I can literally <laughs> drink that. And it makes me feel good because it's my mother's sauce recipe. And uh, I try to, na- I, I tell people I had a 30 year apprenticeship under my mother <laughs> about, I learned everything from cooking from her. And it was always, watch, or watch what I do. <laughs> Luckily, we have um, my grandmother's written down. 
Oh, but very good. Nice. Yeah, in her handwriting, which is nice. Wow. But it's sweet. still very hard to make because there's that special something that you can write it down, but then it's if you don't watch. You got to watch. Yeah. Because it's all in timing and when you add it, which is a very big thing. I, I, I find, you know, when you add things to your sauce, mm-hmm. like sometimes the boys are there with me and they go, well, aren't you going to add that now? I go, no, it's not. <laughs> no, you got to wait a little longer. Then I'll add it. Yeah. You know, they don't understand that. <laughs> How long does it take you to make the sauces? Uh, a few hours to, you know, get everything together and prep it and chop everything up and then get it ready. And, you know, so it's uh, most of my day is I make like up to like 10 12 sauces sometimes not all at once but during the week i just make a different one two or three every day so that's what i do do (laughs) do you have to guess what people are going to order or is it i pretty much know after 30 years of doing this (laughs) i pretty much know what i know i got to make pizza sauce every day that's one thing i have to do pizza sauce every day and then everything else just kind of you know we time everything the bolognese is this day the alfredo the clam the spicy red uh, sauce, the marinara sauce, the tomato sauce. The, now we're going to be doing a seafood sauce. So it's all. Question for both of you on this thing. Taking your ingredients so seriously, which you both do. Oh, yeah. And to. trying to stand out in a. Both of you are in an industry that everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people do pizza and a lot of people do beer. And a lot of people will go for the easiest pizza that's near them or the easiest beer. So how do you stand out, I guess, in the market since you're putting out such quality products? In the beer world, that's actually becoming tricky. I don't think you realized how how big your question is. Um, 10, 12 years ago, I used to say that our country had the best beer culture on the planet because we had such a diversity of styles. Being an immigrant nation, mm-hmm. we, we have people from everywhere so we had beers from everywhere whereas if you go to germany you're only going to get german beers if you go to england you're really only going to get english beers yeah um here you get belgian beers german styles english styles scottish styles and some american styles that we invented ourselves but now one of those american styles that was born out of a british style india pale ale the american version of that has become like by far and above the biggest selling craft beer out there and so when you go to a bar now, they might have 24 taps, but you know, 18 of them are some version of pale ale. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, so it takes over. It's really boring. So not only that, so that now you're looking at how do you distinguish your pale ale or India pale ale from the others when it's a bombastic style. It's a style that's got no subtlety to it. It's lots of hops. Mm-hmm. Little bit of malt, but not a lot of malt flavor. It's really hops. And it really becomes a beer that I think shows off the brewer's ability to source hops more than their ability to brew beer. Because there's been a hop shortage for some years now. And unless you can get contracts years in advance, there's certain varieties you can't get. Wow. So smaller brewers who don't need a lot of hops can deal with what's on the spot market. But anybody that's bigger, like even the size of Druthers, you know, we've got a 30-barrel system in Albany and a 10-barrel in in Saratoga. We'll do about 3,000 barrels this year. I can't just get spot hops to serve my needs. My beer would not be consistent because I'd be getting different hops four times a year. So 
yeah, how do you stand out when that's what you're trying to do? And you know, a lot of it is, I hate to say it, but a lot of it is branding. Right. That, that's and it's not just in the food world; it's in all products. You know, Betamax versus VHS. Well, <laughs> Betamax was clearly superior picture quality and sound quality, and yet it lost. My dad chose the wrong one every single time. Th- that, he chose Betamax, and then he chose Laserdisc, and then he chose HD DVD. So, <laughs> right, every that's time. me. Well, no, in some ways, <laughs> you know, me. with Betamax, yeah. he chose the higher quality. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but you know, marketing VHS won out, yeah. and Betamax disappeared. So and and with beer, you'll see the same thing. If you've got great branding and an okay product, you'll be successful. If you've got a great product and beat branding, yeah, you're you're going to be history. So if you can have great branding and great product, well, heck, you you should be pretty good. Yeah. But a, a lot of us brewers are not marketing people. We're we're brewers. I hear you. Yeah. And so if you're smart, you hire somebody who's a marketing person to help you along because otherwise you you might fall into the vast heap of brewers that were very competent brewers and miserable marketers. Yeah. yeah. Marketing yourself is very, very important. And I've been doing that for thirty years. I was a school teacher and the first class I took when I decided to go in business I took a class at Union College in advertising. It was a night class given by one of their professors. And he said, if you don't market yourself, nobody else will. And you know your product. You know what you're doing better than anybody. And so from day, he says, you got to market it. You have to market it. And you better be, because nobody does it better, will do it better than you. Because no one cares as much as you. Nobody cares as much. It's like the old saying my father would say to me, only the owner of the horse care if he's fed or not. Hmm. Only the owner cares more than anybody. So every day when I get up, just like doing this program or doing, you know, when I was, you got to get out there and get into the newspapers. And then now with the Internet, it's just with yeah. uh, Thrillist and uh, Yelp and TripAdvisor. And you got to have a great product. Yeah. You know, and that's our number. We're proud. And you're like you guys are. You're very proud of your product. You will defend it to the end. And you know you got a great product. And the other thing is service. Mm-hmm. That's what people are looking for today more than anything. People will give you. You know, if the sauce isn't just quite right or it's, a, you know, but if it's very good service, they will overlook that. But if you give them bad service, that's a killer. Yeah, that that's an old restaurant adage where you know, good service can save a bad meal. Yeah. yeah. If, you're, if your server comes over... Um, and then 40 minutes later, comes back, take your order. You might not even be there. Right, yeah. yeah. And you didn't service. have a chance to taste the food. Right. Bad, bad service could kill the greatest culinary yes. experience you've ever had exactly. in your life. It, it, it is all the service. It's service. And so you have to, and like I'll tell my guys every time, I'll say, you know, we got a really good review on Yelp. And know what the review was? That they loved the service. And I said, thank you so much. Because we know the food is great. Right. But- Thank you guys for, you know, believing in it and giving good service. And you have to tell your people that, that you are the reason why they come back. The food is there, but you give somebody bad time, man, they don't need it. They'll just go away. To 
I realize I didn't answer your question. I was I was kind of <laughs> like a politician on on that. And um, it's election season. It's okay. right. Yeah, it's just worn off on me and worn me down. The the uh, there are ways though to try to distinguish your beer from all the gazillion other ones that are out there. And you know, key is ingredient selection. I use only the best malt I can find. I don't care where it came from. Uh, local doesn't matter to me. I want the best. Cost doesn't matter to me. Right. I want the best. And I get sales guys coming to me all the time saying, oh, I've got this, it's local, or it's it's cheaper. Yeah, I, no. I love that one, it's cheaper. It's like, I don't care <laughs> no, that it's cheaper. Do you think I care that it it's better? cheaper? Is it better? Is it better? Right. If yeah. it's better and cheaper, sure, I'll do that, but that's a pretty rare combination. Yeah. And so I use malts that you know, a lot of breweries our size, the accountant would start to say, no, 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 you can't do that. Right. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to do that because it makes a difference in the beer. And you know, hops are the same way. You know, New York is trying to grow new, you know, become a hop growing region again. It was a century ago. Right. And I have yet to have New York hops that smell super pleasing to me. They're not as good as what comes out of the Pacific Northwest. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with just the knowledge of the farmers. They're yeah. just getting back into it. And we don't have the processing equipment here. Hops aren't like basil where you just go out in the garden and use them. They have to be processed into pellets. They have to be kept cold the entire time. Once they start to go bad, they smell like cheese and will lend a cheesy flavor to your beer, oh. which is perhaps desirable on pizza, a cheesy flavor, <laughs> but, but really not desirable in your beer. So right. I don't care about price or local. I look for the best. And then with as, as we're growing our brewery, we're starting to sell beer to restaurants and bars. This winter, we're going to get a bottling line. I'm looking for quality control and quality assurance devices and techniques that will help me ensure that my beer stands above the rest. We spent a ridiculous amount of money on an oxygen analyzer, <laughs> and I've been learning all about where in my processes I'm picking up too much oxygen in the beer, and we've been changing procedures so that we can get that under control before we even start putting the beer in bottles. Because once the beer is in bottles, you know it will be abused in the marketplace. It's going to be kept warm. It's going to be... It's out of your hands at that point. Right, yeah. You've sent your baby out into the world. Do you have to account for that at all in the process? Yeah, it, it, with you, the QA and the QC that you do can help give your beer more shelf life. By keeping oxygen to a minimum, the idea, ideal number for oxygen content in beer would be zero. Nobody can achieve that. But as close to zero as you can get, the machine we've got measures in parts per billion. So, And we're, we're aiming, some of our draft beer now is ending up in the keg at about 8 to 12 parts per billion oxygen, which is really low. If anybody from Anheuser-Busch is listening, they're saying, yeah, that's good. He's doing a good job. <laughs> so because you know, they do a good job on, on theirs. Um, but in bottles, it's even more critical because people tend to keep their kegs cold and they tend to use them fast, whereas bottles can sit on a warm shelf at the beer store for months. Yep. It could sit in the closet at somebody's house or in their garage until mm -hmm. they're like, oh, yeah, I'm having a party. Better throw that on ice. And, gee, why doesn't it taste good? Well, would you have done that to, to, to your tomatoes or to your pizza? <laughs> would you try to keep your pizza in the garage for six months <laughs> and then expect it to taste good? No, of course not. But beer doesn't support pathogens. It won't make you sick if you abuse it like that. It just tastes really stale. Yeah. So put into place the best QA and QC programs you can. Use the best ingredients you can to put out a and stable... And put a care label on the beer. <laughs> yeah. 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 That That is a big one. Our six-pack holders will say that because we're mm -hmm. designing them now. So I assume that you have 
your products down. How long did it take you to find the exact products that you wanted for the sauce and the cheese and all that? It's a, a process. And uh, again, you're always striving for the best, never the cheapest. And right. that's why people we buy from will say, you're one of the few people that, you know, <laughs> you, you don't say, what's the cheapest? What do you have on sale today? Or Because my father always said, you always remember taste. You will always forget price. You'll right. always remember how something tastes, mm -hmm. good or bad. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. And you will always forget the price of something. So always give them the – and we are always searching. We're Like our organic dough that we use, we were buying it from California. We were buying it local. We were buying <laughs> it out of New York. We finally found it up in Canada hmm. near the Quebec border. Wow. We went through four different until we got – the best organic flour that we ever and it's it's incredible and then the girl who is the miller for it spent an entire day with us sophie sophie grew up on a her family's mill in the south of france i mean this girl knew flour better than anybody and she was so and it's know what it is you have it i think i have it you have to have the passion. If you don't have the passion, don't get into the goddamn kitchen, okay? Because well, I think it shows. I mean, it because shows. it comes That's a good out. Right yes there. or no? Oh yeah. If you don't sure. have the passion, don't go into the kitchen. That's where I don't eat the pizza when it just comes out looking like you know. And even they pulled someone off the street to make pizza that day. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. And 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 if you gotta have that passion. You gotta say, when you get up, I wanna offer the best I can possibly offer and I wanna make it better. And that's passion. And that's why when people go to Italy, they go, my God, that was the best food I ever ate. And they go, why is it so good? I said, "It's Italians are very passionate people. Mm -hmm. And it shows in their food. And they're very proud of that. And like I said earlier, my son spent four weeks there backpacking, started up in the Swiss Alps and ended down in Calabria. And he goes, Dad, you were right. They are all very passionate about what they put on the table. He said, but don't go into the big cities and eat. <laughs> he ate at a three-star Michelin in Milan, okay? Then he went to my father's hometown in Calabria, and he asked the people there, you know, what's a really nice restaurant here? And they said, go up to that mountain. <laughs> really? He said, you have to go up this mountain road. And he goes, there's a couple there that have a very nice restaurant. So one day he trekked himself up there and he said, the food was better than the three-star Michelin. He said, these people actually made something that I, you know a little bit about liquor. <laughs> <laughs> a wild fennel liqueur. You ever hear of it? Um, no. Not specifically. No, but... no one makes it. <laughs> no. no, believe me. What about fennel liqueur people make? Not a wild fennel yeah, liqueur yeah. homemade. No, it's, it's not typical. No, they made it, and he said it was the most incredible thing he ever drank. And he goes from, they, they fed him 20 different items. Jeez. 20 different items. Items. How long that was, was he the, doing for? The meal. Well, the meal lasted, I think he said, two and a half hours. 
And he said they were passionate, you know. And then at the end, they bring out the fennel liqueur, which he said just like went bang. <laughs> you know, just that. How do you? And he kept on saying, How do you end this incredible meal? Yeah. And he ended it with an incredible liqueur. Mm-hmm. Who makes their own liqueur? <laughs> Not many people. Nobody. <laughs> Not me, that's for sure. A Nobody. few people in France on a mountain. <laughs> or in the south of Italy. So that's what it is. Or it's south the passion. Italy, sorry. If you don't have passion for it, just, just don't do it, man. Just don't waste your time and don't waste your poor customer's time. Yeah, if, it, if it feels like a job, don't then, do it. then it, you shouldn't do it. If it, It's, it's got to be thrilling and fun and something you look forward to waking up to every yeah, day. that's the difference. Well, I left, woke up this morning looking forward to this program, so thank you there for you coming. Go. Good. <laughs> oh, we have, um, if either of you guys have a funny story about your business or anything, we usually like to end with a funny story. I've got a billion kind. of them. <laughs> you could go first. I've been working in restaurants for 17 yeah, years. You do have. <laughs> that's, uh, um, well, heck. This isn't about beer. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, that's, but yeah, it's, that's it's, fine. It's a little bit about beer. There, there was a server at a restaurant at a brew pub I was working at, and her name was Piper, and I'm not changing that to protect the innocent because <laughs> she deserves what she gets. If I knew her last name, I'd say that too. <laughs> and um, I do beer class for all of our staff, and I did it this previous brew pub also, and it's really important because they're your salespeople, and you want them to know about the beer. It's about an hour and a half class where they learn about brewing process and then we taste all the beers and go through them. And about, oh, 10 minutes into the class, we're standing up on the brewer's platform and looking out the window into the dining room. And I said, oh, hey, look, that guy at table 70 looks just like Ben Franklin. (laughs) She says, Ben Franklin? He was our first president. (laughs) And so... He was, she was close. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, so I'm, I'm thinking, oh, she must be having an aneurysm or, or, a, or a stroke. She's young, but, you know, these things happen. So I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt. And I just said, Ben Franklin was never the president. Oh, he wasn't a president? Then who was the first president? Oh. And so, so then I'm thinking, okay, she's a server. She knows about money. I said, you know, the guy on the $1 bill. She says, yeah, Ben Franklin. Oh. <laughs> and this is somebody with a college degree. I won't say what college it was from. <laughs> I could. It's local. But um, it's like, wow. And she goes, I was never in that into that history stuff. <laughs> and, I, and I'm thinking like, you, you know, knowing who the first president of the United States is, is, is kind of like osmosis. It's not history. I mean, you, you just you, you just learn it by osmosis. It's, it's all around you. And so I ended beer class at that point. I, I knew that, like, nothing I could say to her was going to penetrate the the meters of skull she apparently had. And I didn't want to waste my time or hers. And she, she was a miserable server and didn't last very long. But then just a few weeks later, a friend of mine from Germany was visiting. And I said, hey, and he's German from Germany, mm-hmm. not an American at all. I said, hey, Garrett. Do you happen to know who the first president of the United States was? Which is kind of not fair to ask a German. It's like asking us if we know who first German unified yeah. Germany, right? Even though I know it's Otto von Bismarck, most people don't. And uh, Garrett, do you know who the first president of the United States was? Well, let me see. Well, your capital is Washington, D.C. It was probably that George Washington fellow. <laughs> Brilliant. Wow. 
<laughs> there you go, deducing the answer. So, yeah, that, that story, I don't know if it's really funny or is it really just sad, right? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got a different sense of humor, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's, well, it's funny and sad, it's I funny suppose. funny and sad because there are so many people here, so many young people that seem to know everything. But then when it comes to simple things like that, you know, what's the first president of the country that you're in right now, you know? And they don't know the answer. Well, and, I've got a story. <laughs> oh, boy. He's had right. time. <laughs> Going from the first president to hopefully the next president, uh, and I'm looking at the clock, and it brought back, it was on a Friday just about this time, 3.30, I get a phone call, and the young girl goes, is this Rocco DeFazio? And now again, it's Friday just before dinner, and <laughs> oh boy, we are going to be very, very busy, and I go, yeah. This is Rocco DeFazio. Can you please hold on for Hillary Clinton? And I go, really? A <laughs> robocall? No, thank you. And I hang up. And a couple minutes pass. Phone call again. I pick it up. And, hello, is this Rocco? I said, really? You're calling me up again? No, <laughs> I am not going to listen to a robocall for money. Thank you. know, asking me for money. And I hang up again. <laughs> phone rings again I said son of a I say I pick up the phone and it's a guy now and he goes hey Rocco really Hillary Clinton would really like to talk to you can you please <laughs> hold on for her and please don't hang up <laughs> and I go oh I think this is not a robot <laughs> <laughs> and it was Hillary Clinton on the other end of the line she wanted to know about pizza sauce she, no she had read an article in the Times Union because this is what they do for, for her, and they did. A, and she told me this is what they do for Bill. Every day for breakfast, they cut out interesting articles in the newspaper, because they're not going to go through the right, newspaper, right. go through the ads, and they put them in front of them, in a folder, and they scan them and they read these articles. And if something they like, they'll say, "Put this to the side. I want to speak to this person sometime today." And then their research people will try to find a number. And she read an article about how I wanted to help revitalize her neighborhood. This was when she was her first term as U.S. senator. And she goes, hey, it's really me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I find that you want to use collective memory as a means of revitalizing your neighborhood. And, um, and since then, she, she has filmed her campaign video in our plays. We've we become good friends. I campaign for her. So she enjoys the pizza. She loves the pizza. Well, she's definitely got my vote now. As, got, not that she didn't before, but, but uh, she <laughs> loves good pizza. She loves the organic, uh, and she likes spicy food. She loves spicy food. But uh, yeah, I've had at least a dozen conversations with her, and she visited us many times. But uh, yeah, hanging up on Hillary Clinton a couple times was. Uh, and but you know what she said to me? She says, "Don't feel bad." said it would happen to my husband all the time when he was president. And he would do that. He would say, he would read the article, some article, and he'd say, hurry up, this is really, I want to talk to this person. 
And he'd go, hey, this is Bill Clinton. And people would say, yeah, right. Come on. <laughs> right, because who's going to believe that? Who's gonna, he, yeah. She said it would happen all the time to him. Hey, this is president. I'd like to talk to you about something that well, I read. Well, especially if they schedule the call for dinner time at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's... So, but uh, I said, boy, I said, you have a lot of patience. I said, <laughs> I'm so, I was so mortified. But the funny thing was, at the end of the conversation, she said, what can I do to help you right now? And I said, you know, I said, just pass along a good word. I said, if you feel this is what I'm doing is really good, I said, just pass along a good word for me. And I hung up, and um, I go out, had to do something, and I come back, and my mom says, hey, the mayor just called. He wants you to call him back right away. Same day, same afternoon. I said, holy cow. I said, first, he must have read the article, too. <laughs> so I call him. I said, hey, Rocco DeFonso says, hey, Hillary Clinton just called me. <laughs> did he hang up? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's what I asked. I said, you didn't hang up on her, did you? <laughs> she wouldn't think people in Troy are really rude. <laughs> he said, no. My secretary screened the call, knew it was from her. She called and said, you got to help this guy, Rocco. He needs help. <laughs> so that was, uh, and, and she does keep her word. She does keep her word. If she says she's going to help you, she is going to help you. Well, that's a great note to end on. Thank you both for coming hey, in. Hey, it welcome. is a pleasure. Enjoy the pie. Enjoy the beer. We'll yes, do. Yes, we will. That was Rocco DeFazio of DeFazio's Pizzeria in Troy and George DePiro of Druthers Brewing. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge. <laughs>